Welcome into another episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritschner, Rick Roaring with you. And it is Monday, February 13th, and it's time to run through where Xavier stands right now and all the metrics. Musketeers dropped three spots today to number 16 in the AP poll. Xavier sits right now at 25th in Ken Palm after the Butler loss. If you go over to Bracket Matrix, Xavier updated today is the final three seed in the bracket, and Xavier. Looking at their at their projections right now, they have six quad one wins, five quad two wins, eleven combined. If you're doing the math, that Florida loss back in November, or the Florida win rather back in November, that's the one that's hanging around right now. That and the Cincinnati win. Cincinnati's right on the cusp. They're at 75th. If they drop any lower, that becomes a quad two game. Florida there at 53rd. If that moves up to 50, that becomes a quad one game. So a couple of games that are teetering right there in the balance. But Xavier right now, like I said, sitting at 25th in Ken Palm. Kind of interesting to note, last year on February 13th, Xavier was sitting, uh, going into their, their first game after, after February 13th, Xavier was 24th in Ken Palm last year, or right around this time. And on February 13th, they were 20th in the net, which is right now six spots higher than Xavier sits at 26th in the net last year. I'm not suggesting I'm comparing one team to the other, just to kind of give a frame of reference of where we were sitting last year at this time. And Rick, do you find that interesting at all when you compare these teams and and their numbers and their metrics to where we were at this time last year? Well, it's interesting from the standpoint that I, I don't think anyone feels the same about this team right now as they did that team last year at this time. But it is interesting to see how close they were in terms of the metrics. And the the difference is, well, we don't know if it's a difference, but last year the way things played out for the team was they ended up losing five straight after this point. What's going to happen to this team? It remains to be seen, but I think we would all be surprised if that was the way. Yeah, I think everybody listening to this would be shocked if if that was how things went down given the way that Xavier's schedule sets up. But that's why you play the games. That's why we're sitting here talking about it. And since we last talked, Xavier has only played one game. And that was Friday night at Hinkle Fieldhouse at Butler. Xavier loses 69-67 to in a game that, I mean, Xavier looked like, and I saw somebody mention this on, I don't know if it was Twitter, the message board somewhere, I thought it was a great comment. It almost looked like Xavier didn't expect Butler to play defense in the first half. That might have been from your write-up, Rick. I don't remember where I saw that. But it just felt like Butler came out, punched Xavier in the mouth. They never responded. Xavier never had a lead in the entire game. Uh, it was funny. I, I showed up a couple of minutes late because the parking to get in the garage, uh, there, there was such a long line that we were coming from Cincinnati. And uh, I showed up a couple of minutes at that beautiful Hinkle Fieldhouse that you Yeah, at, right? exactly. And I showed yeah. up a couple of minute, minutes late. It was eight to four. Um, Xavier never had the lead. Not that they had the lead anyway, but it was it was pretty much over as far as the first half goes. Right from the jump, Butler dominated the first 20 minutes. Xavier got back into it in the second half. And Rick, the way I saw it go, and we'll let you give your thoughts here in a second, is it, it just felt like Xavier tried so hard in the, in the post in the first half. They were going right after Manny Bates, and Manny Bates has five blocks in this game, the most blocks he had in a game all season. And then in the second half, Xavier goes more out to the perimeter, and they look a whole lot better offense. Didn't look great, but looked a whole lot better than they did in the first half. So. What did you see, Rick? What did you see in the second half as compared to the first half? And and where did Xavier go wrong on Friday night? Well, the second half, they looked a lot more like 
the way they typically look, which is not as good as you'd probably like them to be on defense, but scoring at a pretty good clip again, and their offense had a little bit more flow. They hit some big shots late. Uh, the three by, by Sule Boom sticks out. But in the first half, there were a couple things that really stood out. One is what you were talking about, where they were continuously trying to force the ball into the post. Uh, but it seemed like overall the way they ran their offense was a lot more lackadaisical and slower and less crisp than usual. And I know that feels like pretty generic, but if you watch back, when they'd come out of a media timeout, all of a sudden that next trip or two would have a lot more pace to it. They'd be really cutting hard and, and, and moving the ball quicker. And you could tell that it just seemed like when they'd go to talk to the coaching staff, the coaching staff was telling them, like, we have to pick it up a little bit. You have no energy right now on the offensive end. And you know, they'd go through a handful of possessions. And I think part of it is just the style that Butler plays where they're content to be very patient on offense. You saw Thad Mata holding up the stop sign to his guards when, when they'd get an outlet pass, like, slow it down. We want to play in the half court. We're going to throw it into Manny Bates, see if we can get it inside. And, and Manny Bates played very well. He had those early finishes to kind of get his confidence going, and, and that continued throughout the game. But that was most of what I saw was Xavier just really struggled to get in their flow offensively, and whether that was Butler playing their style and imposing their will a little bit or if it was just for whatever reason Xavier lacked energy and, and didn't have it on this night, I don't know. But that, that was what I saw through the first 20 minutes. And when you talk about how much was Xavier missing Zach Freeman all through that stretch, I think they'd be susceptible to a game like this, even if they have Zach Fremantle. But the difference is he adds one more option who is going to continuously force the issue on offense, look for his own shot. And he's the type of guy that can get hot, even when no one else is playing well, he can carry your offense a bit. So you missed him from that regard and that maybe he was someone who could have got you going when it was tough in the first half. But overall, I, I just thought, offensively they did not have it at all and, and even some of the looks they got like I can remember a set play they ran uh, it was underneath out of bounds play rather where they ran basically a cross screen look for Jerome Hunter across the blocks and they got it into him and he just couldn't finish that shot or Colby Jones coming off a curl through the middle of the lane gets to about eight feet wide open can't finish it from the middle of the lane they're just it just was not their half no and it just it felt weird watching it because how many times did they throw the ball away, right? Somebody would cut, they'd throw the pass behind the cutter. Or somebody would try to come off a screen, they'd throw the ball away. It just felt like there were miscommunications all over the place. And just things that you hadn't seen out of Xavier much at all this year. It just You don't really see those types of plays where the guys will cut one way, expect the ball the other way, whatever it might be. And for some reason, we didn't just see it once. We saw it multiple times on Friday. Now It, it was shocking because it just kept happening yeah that, I wrote that in the write-up and that's when I talked about um the fact that Xavier almost just looked shell-shocked by Butler being aggressive on defense and get in the passing lanes a little bit and, and forcing them farther away from the basket and like they started their offense a couple of times about 28 feet from the basket it's just like you're not going to get any angles to drive there you're nothing's really going to work when you're playing that far out so the, yeah the numerous errant passes that they had where it's like they kick it out or throw it across court. And it wasn't even close to the guy yeah. that they were trying to throw the ball to. It was just strange. I, you don't see that very often from many high major teams, but especially not this Xavier team this season. So uh, the, I thought the turnovers definitely stood out. So when you, look at, um, when you look at the DePaul loss and you look at this Butler loss and now being two of the three losses for Xavier in the Big East, and you know, Xavier does not end up winning the Big East title, obviously those are going to be two games that you point to that you say – it's hard to win the Big East title when you lose to DePaul and to Butler. But 
how similar were these two games in your mind, Rick, in the way that they played out? And if they are any source of, uh, I, I don't know, nervousness maybe for the future? Well, I mean, I think it just shows you that this team is capable of a letdown performance. Both of those games were similar from the standpoint that they didn't play well. And uh, it was kind of, uh, I don't know if it was an all-systems failure, but they didn't look very good on either end of the court in the first half of the Butler game. And you could probably say that about most of the DePaul game. So that's where I draw similarities. I don't think there was like one thing in those two games that Xavier really got picked apart with, like a certain matchup issue or a certain action or like DePaul plays at a completely different pace than Butler does. So it wasn't something like that that really gave them trouble. I don't think it was just two letdown performances and only one of them came with Zach Freeman on the lineup. So that's really on the, only an excuse for this. Butler yeah, game. yeah, no doubt. So when you look at the way now that Xavier's schedule sets up, they have Marquette, obviously, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, but Marquette, DePaul, Villanova, Seton Hall, Providence, and Butler is, is the stretch the rest of the way. Seton Hall had been playing better um, over the last few weeks, but now they've lost two in a row back to back to Creighton and Villanova and, kind of feels like any any slim bubble talk of Seton Hall that may have been kind of creeping into the conversation is probably Wayne now that like you you and I have talked about a lot Rick you just you accumulate losses so now you have the schedule for Xavier where it's going to be tough for Xavier to end up first and, and playing at noon at Madison Square Garden not impossible because the road is still in front of Xavier with a game against Marquette and a game against Providence both on the road but they don't have Creighton again. They don't have that chance to make up a game there with Creighton um, and in the sense of the way that Creighton is playing right now is one of the best teams in the country. They have not lost since January 11th. They started 3-3 three and three in the yeah. Big East. They've won eight in a row, Rick. Yeah, but the one thing we keep doing when we talk about how the rest of conference play is going to play out is we keep forgetting that the unexpected is going to occur. Like nobody had Xavier losing at Butler on Friday night when they were talking last week about how the projections were going to play out. So, I mean, Xavier just needs to win games. That's all there yep. is to it. And and are they likely to get first place now? Probably not. But there's a very good chance that one of these other teams is going to slip up and lose a game that we're not expecting them to lose too. So as long as you continue to win the games that – I don't know if I would say you're supposed to, but at least you win your fair share of games here down the stretch if you're Xavier – you'll have a chance and you'll be in a good It position. was funny talking to uh, at Chatterbox. We were talking about these teams in the Big East, and I was talking on Thursday afternoon about the, the worst teams in the Big East, and I made the point that th- there is a part of me that would probably rather play Butler or St. John's over like a DePaul. And then, of course, both Butler and St. John's win over the weekend. St. John's wins at home against, well, that was at Madison Square Garden against Providence, and then Butler upsets Xavier. So, of course, that's the way it plays out. And this year in the Big East, even look at look at even Georgetown at times has looked like a team that could could have pulled things off, and then this weekend got blown out by Marquette. So, um, yeah, I think you make a good point that there is a long road ahead, and it's fun playing the it's fun playing the simulator game, right? The links that we've tweeted out and the and the ways that you can project some of these games. But um, if Xavier was to be a two or three seed, I know we've had a lot of questions about MSG. That would be a Thursday night game. If Xavier was the one seed, they'd play at noon on Thursday. Otherwise, they'd play two or three seed. They'd play at night um, against maybe, you know, like a Seton Hall or a Villanova, depending on how that all shook out. But there's a long way to go. And you know what's fun about this year, um, before we get more back into the Xavier thing, just in general, it's just fun having a Big East race this year, isn't it? Right? Like, we're looking at four different teams, probably three teams now, but maybe four teams with Providence. 
that really have a legitimate case at this Big East title instead of it really just creeping always in the back of your head that, ah, well, Villanova's probably going to pull this off. I mean, it is fun. And I, I think Providence is the team that I'm most interested right now from a Xavier perspective, at least, because, you know, they play at home against Creighton and at home against Villanova their next two games. Massive games for Providence. Yeah. Like that, that's going to tell us a lot about if they have a chance to compete here for, uh, well, to, to basically overtake Xavier, I would say, is if they can w- get out of those next two games with a win, then you start sweating a bit if you're Xavier fans about those final four. They go at UConn, which will be difficult, but then they have at Georgetown, home against Xavier, home against Seton Hall to finish off the season. So Providence right now sits at 10-4, and four, Xavier at 11-3 and three, right behind them, tied with Creighton. Yeah, this is going to be fun down the stretch. The fact that these teams still have to play each other is going to make for a lot of excitement in that second-to-last game. It of the really season. is kind of uncharted territory when I sit there sometimes during the day and I'm looking at these simulators and I'm thinking to myself, wait, you know, the last nine years we've been sitting here and it's basically just, well, you know, 2018, well, can, can Xavier hold off Villanova or can Providence last year, can they hold off Villanova? And now it's, now it's four teams and you're throwing all these different – all these different winners and losers into the bracket, and you're thinking, well, this could really end up five or six different ways. You don't know. Um, but l- let's get back to Xavier here for a second, Rick, before we start taking calls. And uh, just the way that Xavier is set up now, first, have you heard anything about Sule? I know he, Sean Miller talked about him on the yeah. on the coach's show. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't really have anything more detailed to get into other than what Sean said, which is that they're, you know, they're going to limit him as much as possible, keep him out of practice. He's going to be in a boot, I'm sure, or whatever else they can do to, to keep that thing as, as well-rested and ready to go as possible. And the idea is that hopefully he'll play against Marquette. I mean, he obviously stayed in the game and played after the, the injury occurred on Friday against Butler. So I would expect him to be available. It's just more a matter of how close to 100% is he? Is he 60, 70% on that thing? Or is he more like 90, 95%? And, and if it's the latter, then you feel really good about having Sule boom and, and where you're at. But this Marquette matchup at Marquette is going to be a huge one for Xavier. So you go into that game without Sule boom, it, it's a whole different Let's feel. talk about that for a second. If you have a call, uh, start loading up your calls here. Um, I see Yuli is the only one in the queue with a call. So we need some Xavier fans calling in here. So if you have a call, well, go ahead. And and, and let's talk about Yuli for a second because I, I asked people on Twitter beforehand. Yuli, of course, is our resident Butler fan who is very <laughs> gracious and, and very respectful on these Twitter spaces. He calls into our Xavier show every week. He usually has good Big East takes. Xavier fans tried to run Yuli's tab up on a bet, on a money line bet for the Bulldogs, thinking that Xavier was going to run him out of their own gym. And lo and behold, Yuli ended up winning a couple hundred dollars because Xavier fans were trying to uh, screw him over. So Yuli is requested in. He wants to talk. I asked Xavier fans, should we take that call? The response I got was, he better not be first. No. So I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to give Xavier fans the first chance here, but Xavier fans have to call in. That's that's the name of the game. If you want to talk Xavier basketball before we talk to Yuli, you better call. We have, we did get a few there. So let's talk Marquette just real quickly before we get to the, to the phone calls here. Um, Rick, what, what are your overall thoughts with this Marquette game? This is a, a team that Xavier's already beaten this year. That was at the Cintas center, really one of the best games of the year. That was an awesome game uh, back on January 15th. Xavier won by four Marquette since that game against Xavier has only lost one time. And that was the blowout loss last Tuesday to Connecticut. Otherwise, they have wins mixed in there at Seton Hall, uh, home game against Villanova, a win, home game against Providence and a win. 
Um, what do you see out of this Marquette team, especially without Zach Fremantle? So we don't know how things will look without Fremantle, but he didn't dominate that first game. He had 10 points, eight rebounds. I mean, he, he was good. He was fine. I'm not criticizing him at all, but he wasn't like a star in that game that really gave Xavier a leg up. So I'm not sure how big of a difference he's going to make. I mean, in fact, if you go back to that box score, Jerome Hunter had 11 points in that game. So he actually outscored Zach Fremantle in the first game against Marquette. So there's that. The second part of it is Tyler Kolek was awesome in that first game between these two teams. He was really efficient scoring off the dribble. He created for a lot of his teammates off the bounce, had a bunch of assists. He finishes with 25 points in that win or in that loss. And as the game went on, Xavier got much better at figuring out how to contain him a little bit. And especially some of the plays that he was making for his teammates off of ball screens. So I look at this and I think Tyler Kolek's really good. And this Marquette offense is really good. There's no guarantee, especially in their own gym, that you're going to be able to do a better job than you did the first time you played them. But I'm also not convinced that Tyler Kolek is going to go nine for 11 from two point range and put 25 points on you again. And aside from that, Xavier didn't do a terrible job of matching up against Marquette the first time these two teams played. So when you look at this game, you say it's on the road. You say Xavier looked terrible against Butler on Friday night. You don't get the best feeling maybe about it. I don't know. I don't think it's the worst matchup for Xavier. I think there's a legitimate chance that they go on the road and get a massive win. Well, you're speaking the language of the Xavier fans that are listening to this, Rick. Um, let's go to the phones, and we are going to start. Um, we are going to get to everybody. So if you are. Well, I will, I will tell you this. We are not getting to Nate Oatsburn. We're just not <laughs> doing it. I, I mean, I love you. I appreciate it, but we're not talking Alabama basketball. Tonight. We're <laughs> That's just the number one team in the country, Rick. I know, but we're just not doing it. All right, Southern Muskie, you're up. Go ahead. Hey, Paul. Hey, Rick. Hey. How goes it, guys? Great. How are you? Good, how are you? Doing well? I do think that this Butler loss was, I don't want to say it was the nail in the coffin because you still have a lot of games to play in terms of the – Nail in the coffin for what? Big East title, I should say. Regular season. Oh, okay. Okay, Not okay. tournament. No, they're, they're good in the tournament and all that. But I think for nail in the coffin, it's with the Big East title. Um, I could be wrong. I know there's games to play. Anything can happen. I was just wondering what your guys' thoughts are on that. And I should mention this. The last time that I was in, because I'm based out of Nashville, the last game that I attended was back in 2019 against Green Bay. So I'm excited to be at the Centos Center this weekend to watch them take on DePaul. So I'm pretty excited to be back, see everything. So it should be really fun and to get a Herschel too. So shout out to Danis. Looking forward to that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I am curious about, you know, the prospect of, winning the Big East title going forward. I don't think it's going to happen. And for me, you know, it it's going to be a disappointment because I feel like this is the redemption team from what we've seen the past few seasons where it's like you've got the squad and Miller's pulled the talent out of them. And it's like, man, let's just win the regular season title. Let's go try to win the conference title as well. And then let's make a run. Um, and which if they don't win the Big East regular season titles, now you know, doesn't, say anything bad about the season about the squad or anything else but it's just that nice caveat that you would like to have but i was just curious what your guys' thoughts are yeah so i agree with you i don't think that they're going to win the biggies title and and not to do it like a pat myself on the back or told you so thing but if you go back to my interview with mo egger from last wednesday 
he asked me that question right off the bat, and I said the same thing. I just said, well, like, if you look at the situation that all these teams are in where they're pretty tightly bunched together at the top, all of them have some tough games left, but I'd say Xavier's schedule is about as tough as anyone's probably down the stretch, and they just lost one of their best scorers. Yeah, it's probably not going to be Xavier that comes out on top in the regular season, but that being said, Xavier is still a very dangerous team in the postseason. So, I mean, I, I would agree with kind of the, exactly the way you laid it out that – I don't think they're likely to win the regular season. There's still an outside chance that it happens. And that really doesn't say much about what they're going to do in the postseason, because I think they're definitely a team that's capable of making a run to the second weekend. Yeah. I, I Well, here's the thing. You look at Creighton and how they've played. If you go to, to Bart Torvik, you do the T-rank. Since their loss to Xavier, their last loss, that was the last time Creighton lost back on January 11th. Since that loss, Creighton is the third best team in the country behind Purdue and Alabama. Creighton is playing unbelievable basketball right now. They are are one of the best teams in the country. They have Calc Runner back. They're just playing really well, and they're playing exactly like everybody thought they were going to be playing before the season. They just didn't have their best player for a month. So, well, and and, and to to that point, Paul, they can beat you by scoring 104 like they did against St. John's or 84 like they did against Xavier, or they can beat you – by scoring 56 points like they did this weekend against Connecticut. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Grind you down or they'll, they'll run you up and down the court. So that, that's where Creighton, I, I think, uh, you know, if, if you listen to the rebound rundown, that was John Fanta's pick last Friday to uh, win the Big East. I just think that the way the Creighton schedule is set up, they probably have the have the inside track now to win the conference. And if you look at the way the bracket is set up too, and you're talking about – this Wednesday's matchup with Marquette and potentially, you know, Fremantle's injury coming back. The reason, one of the reasons that I'm very interested right now in this game on Wednesday, outside of the Big East title race and all these other implications, is there are a million different scenarios that all end with Marquette and Xavier being on the same side of the bracket and potentially playing on Friday night at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Pretty much everyone now, after that loss to Butler, lines up that way where okay, Marquette and Xavier meet on Friday night in the semifinal. Now, all of a sudden, this game on Wednesday, you know, Fremantle not being there, how much does that play into it? Rick's already talked about it. If Fremantle's not at 100% at MSG, which I don't think anybody's really expecting him to be at that point in the season, is is that like a little precursor? Is that on the same side of the bracket? What kind of the matchup does that look like? Those are all the things that you're looking at right now. So... Um, yeah, I, I think there is a lot of intrigue to this game and coming off that Butler loss, what what this does to Xavier and their prospects at, at Madison Square Garden, too. Someone did say, they pointed this out earlier, which I thought was pretty good, and it's a good mindset to have in this perspective, is that, hey, if we were to lose Marquette, um, that pretty much kills her chances winning the Big East regular season title. But at the same time, if you look down the schedule, it's you win the games you have to win. Sure, you may take some bumps, maybe against Providence, maybe against um, Seton Hall and all that. But to get everybody back healthy, ready to go, ready to roll in March, so conference tourney, and then you go to the NCAA tourney, then it's all set. I think Wednesday's really going to dictate where my mind's at because there's a part of me that's like, okay, beat Marquette, we have a chance, let's get that title, you know, let's put it in the trophy case. But you know what, if they don't do it, though, it doesn't kill my spirit in terms of what's to come in March. 
once everybody, again, as I just said, is healthy and all that. So Wednesday, I think, is really just going to be the final decision as to where my mindset is. But either way, I'm very much excited for March, what's to come. I think this is still a dangerous team. And, you know, hopefully, you know, they don't stumble along the way. But that's all I've got, guys. So Here's what I want to know. Here's what I want to know from you and others, Xavier fans. How do you feel about three and three the rest of the way? Where are you at on this team if they finish three and three the rest of the way? That would put them at uh, fourteen and six in conference play. Man, so we're three and three. So as long as they don't lose to DePaul when I'm at that game, and they don't lose to Butler, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, in that scenario, we're saying you probably beat DePaul, Villanova, and Butler three games at home, and you lose at Marquette, at Seton Hall, and at And that, that does, just for the frame of reference, that does keep Xavier at that three seed uh, at, in the 930 game uh, at MSG. It's a good question. I, I Ideally, for me, I think my acceptable like vision of that would be, you know, four and two um of course for me it's just beating DePaul beating Butler and hey you know beat Villanova like get the sweep of Villanova I think get the monkey off the back and beat them um I think if they lose to Marquette they're not in the Big East title race I'm pretty much like okay beat the easy team see what you can do against the competitive teams um for me, I think it's going to have to be four and two, but three and three, I think it just depends on who they beat and who they lose to. Um, but as long as they're one of the top three seeds in the Big East tournament, um, you know, anything can happen at that point. I don't think I'm going to be too heartbroken at that. Five and five right. and one still puts you as the two seed on Thursday night. Like it's pretty much going to take six and zero. Oh, assuming that assuming <laughs> keeps working the way they're playing. I'm just, I'm just kind of giving everybody like Creighton's going to be favored here, pretty much the rest. You know what? It is funny if they go five and one in the stretch. I'm like, who are they going to lose to? Who's the... so they would beat Marquette, you know, or lose and then win out, or it's just like, God, who's yeah. who are they going to lose to at that yeah. point? <laughs> so I don't know. It's it, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens with they. I'm excited to watch the game. Um, other than that, though, I'm just ready for March at this point. I think so everybody is. Thanks so much for the call. Yep. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Let's go to uh, – I see the Xavier professor was in there pretty quick. So let's get the professor in here. I haven't heard from Jerome Hunter lately. Did he call in last week? I don't remember. I think did, he called did last week. he call last week? week? Okay. I didn't call last week, but – Hey, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? Fantastic. All right. So on the three and three thing, yeah, I'm happy with that. I had us going 13 and seven going into conference. One game above where I thought we'd be great. Um, but my first question was with how uh, with how Cesar played um, during the Butler game. Do we expect to see a return of Deontay Miles, or how are we going to deal with the Nunji needs to breathe problem? I. Uh, I can I continued to believe that the number one option is to be creative as possible and play those extra guys outside the top six right now with Fremantle being out as little as possible. So I, I don't think there's going to be like a huge rush to try to give Deontay Miles more minutes and, and backfill that. Cesar did not look good against Butler. I think you're probably going to have to live with him being a little up and down and try to play him as little as possible. 
basically. That would that would be my expectation or my assumption going into this. No idea how the coaching staff would view it, but that's where I would be. It's just you, you play those guys as few of minutes as possible. Yeah, I'd be shocked to see any more out of Deontay as far as minutes go. Uh, my next question was, um, when was the last time Xavier ever stormed the court? Because I was at the Butler game, saw that happen. Fair enough, college kids have, have fun and all that. I don't remember doing it at any point when I was there, except maybe for, I guess, if you count winning the Big East regular season my junior year. Yeah, that that doesn't count uh, like as, as far as like a court storming goes, because every team does that when they win a conference title. Uh, yeah, that was they let the fans down after yeah, the game, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that wasn't yeah. Like, a, like a storm the court after a win. I mean, can you actually storm Centos? No, they, they – no. They, that'll that won't happen. They won't. Xavier won't let a storm happen. Uh, <laughs> Let's listen to Fritchner well, sounding thought, very I, confident in the security. I mean, as somebody that stands down there, like I'm, I'm standing next to the head of security when I'm hosting the games. I stand down there next to all the the conglomerate of police officers. And uh, when there's a big game like the UConn game this year, with about eight minutes left, I, there were security people appearing that. I don't even know where they were coming. They were like appearing out of the cracks of the building, just, just, just coming out of nowhere and just standing. There. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's any scenario where Xavier storms a court at Centos. Just, but that's, that's just my opinion. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think because I put that question out back around that UConn game. I think it happened. Was it at the Gardens? It hasn't happened at Centos. Was it at the Gardens? I don't know. I don't know. The yeah, but I don't know. Better, I have no answer better, to the last time it happened. I don't know if it's the ever better question that I had asked. Has Xavier ever been stormed on? That was my next question. That was my, have, that was I the question I was going to ask the message board, and I just never got around to putting it putting it up there this weekend. Has Xavier ever been stormed on? And I can't remember a time when that. Maybe in the A ten was there any was there any team in the A ten? I mean, when when would that have really happened? That's what like, I said. That's what I'm saying. That's the only thing I could think of was like. Maybe they were having a good year in the A10, and it happened. You know, some one of the one of the smaller schools in the A10, but I don't remember it. I don't. No. Well, first of all, court storming it didn't used to be like this. Yeah, it wasn't a thing where fans did it after every game. I mean, this year I've seen the court stormed 150 times already. I've only watched 153 games. So I mean, it's like every every single game that's won, someone's on the court afterwards celebrating on TV. So it's gotten incredibly lame. I don't care if you do it; I would just be embarrassed by it by this point. If like I was a, a Butler fan doing that, it's not, it's not like it's fine. Go ahead and do your thing. I personally would not be able to do it because I would just be embarrassed by it. But um, yeah, I, I don't think like back in the day, you only did it if you beat a top five team in the country, and you weren't that type of team yourself. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, last question: um, Coaching carousel for the upcoming off season. <laughs> uh, I'm not asking about Sean. I'm not worried about that. Um, I was curious if you guys thought: Is Chris Mack going to get back in the game? And where does Pat Kelsey, former Xavier player, end up? Notre Dame. Yep, that's my answer too. Love it. Yep. Um, and as far as Chris Mack. I, I really don't know. I really don't know the answer to that question. Chris is just a little bit different. The, the fact that he's gotten into the podcasting stuff, the Field of 68, which apparently seems to be like the, the uh, minor leagues for getting a, a head coaching job now is interesting to me. It may signal that he's more interested in getting back in sooner than I might have expected. Um, but he's truly a guy that I could see him staying out for another few years or 
I could see him being back in and being crazy competitive right away next year. I just don't know where the job is that he would want. Fair enough. All right. Well, that's all I got. Thanks, guys. Hey, thank you. All right. Let's go to uh, let's go to Paula. I don't think we've heard from Paula in a while, so let's go to Paula. Can you hear me, guys? We got you. Uh, so I believe the last time that Xavier fans stormed the court uh, was when they beat number one Cincinnati in '99 at the Gardens. Because uh, there we I, go, the Gardens. There we go. Because I took, how many how many fans would have been there? Uh, well, I took part in that storming. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, sold that building. And in terms of being stormed on, there were times I. I want to say one year we lost at Duquesne. We were stormed on. Uh, I want to say it might have happened with Bonaventure as well. Um, but the truth of the matter is you should only storm court when you beat number one in the country. That's that's it. Um, but in the, in the A-10, since Xavier was definitely the program to beat along with Temple, um, we definitely got stormed on. Okay. I'm gonna put I'm gonna put this out there and this might just be me. I have I have no problem at all with people that storm the court. But me personally, like I'm not gonna sit here and be like, you know, oh the college kids can't have fun or any of that. Like I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have that take. But is it is it just me or is it is it more disrespectful when you don't storm the court? It's like, oh, we expected to win this game. We expected so, we expected to go out there and win this game. Because that's my mentality on it. Paula, is the Xavier alum when we beat Villanova when they were in that number one that one year at Cintas and we didn't storm the court? And I get, like you said, it was it's harder to do at Cintas. Um, I was very disappointed <laughs> in the student body that night that they didn't storm the court when Villanova was number one. Uh, but that was just me. So I remember. So I, I was a student at that time, and I remember that I was on the other side of the court. I was working that game, but I remember that that was a big obviously a big topic of conversation but it was the same deal they they had the security they had the railings up i think in front of a portion of the students that like that for some reason it just it wasn't happening um but uh yeah i i don't know i just to me it feels like you kind of just expect like i i don't know i had seen a lot of conversation through the week about the butler and the xavier rivalry and the butler fans obviously going on and on about xavier all week and i kind of i saw the court storm and i thought oh all right, whatever, I guess. Yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised by it, too. Um, internal eye roll, but yeah. I mean, I, I, like um, I said, I don't I don't care. I just personally feel like right. as a competitor, I go out there and expect to win every game. If I'm a player and I'm, I'm thinking that, I, oh, okay, you win the game, you expect to win. I was reading some... I was reading some things on Friday about Butler saying we were their biggest rival. When I was reading that, all I could think of was how Dayton treated playing us a lot more importantly than we ever treated playing Day- Dayton. Yeah. That's all I could think. Okay. Of. Is Butler on the brink of becoming the new Dayton for Xavier? It's kind of gotten that little brother that feel too. to it. I was thinking that too. Um, on Friday when I was seeing all these Butler fans replying like, Hey, they're our rival. And I was like, really? Okay. But I mean, I guess Villanova can say that about us, right? You right. No, that's a, that's a really good one. Yeah, Xavier fans considering themselves Villanova rival, Villanova's rival is very akin to Butler considering themselves Xavier's rival. I would totally agree yeah. with that. Paula, let me ask you this. When you yeah. guys stormed the court, I mean, this you're talking 99, 2000. Uh, not everyone had a cell phone to go out and do a TikTok video or take a selfie while they're doing it. <laughs> what did you guys do when you ran onto the floor? 
Uh, we just ran on the floor and celebrated with the players. I mean, it's on YouTube. If you kind of, uh, you know, put in Xavier, UC 99, 2000, the, 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 court storming is on there um i mean i'm so old school i think i had a uh, vcr tape that that one night and i think it's somewhere <laughs> still in my house somewhere uh, but yeah i mean you couldn't take a selfie you couldn't do any of that it was just uh you know we, we have it on you know youtube forever i guess is uh what we have i was only involved in one quarter it was actually a field storming it, i went to a kentucky football game and i'm not a kentucky football fan i was just in college and i was in the student section and uh, they had a big sec win i feel like it might have been south carolina or something when they were top 10 or something so they rushed the field i run onto the field with the fans just because yeah i wanted to say i rushed the field and i very quickly realized like i'm not sure what to do with my hands or anything else once i got out there it's just like you run and then you're just kind of like all right what do we do now <laughs> yeah it's kind of a weird feeling that game too if I am correct on this, I think it was the first shootout that Dick Vitale actually called as well. I um, remember that game well. He did the, uh, stay tuned, call up your friends. Number one's going to be knocked off, baby. Yeah, and I think it was like they literally, it was literally SportsCenter was on after the game and they went live on the court with Skip Prosser um, from Sport, from SportsCenter. So we were all surrounding that live shot as well. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so it was, and, and you got to realize this was the day when um, beating UC meant a lot to Xavier because they were we didn't have, you know, power five opportunities like we do nowadays. Oh yeah, I remember watching that game at my great grandmother's house because my parents were cheap and didn't have cable, and it was on ESPN or ESPN two. Yeah. And my great grandmother kept saying she was going to write a letter to UC's administration because Kenyon Martin kept pulling his jersey to expose his tats on his chest and flexing. Correct. Correct. And she did not appreciate it. Well, that was also the game, too, where um, Bob Huggins literally leaned down the bench and grabbed uh, Kenyon by the front of the jersey and, like, pulled him to him and yelled at him. And Dick Vitale was like, oh, that's some tough love. And I'm sitting there thinking, is it or is it kind of <laughs> like it was just kind of a bad look? I felt that's assault, brother. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Um, but Dana's was a little wild that night. I bet. Um, two other, two other quick things I've gone on long enough. One, if we had said at the beginning of the year that Xavier was going to be 14 and six in conference play, I think we all would have done backflips considering what's happened the last four years. So I, yeah. I, I think we all got to take this kind of whole season, um, in a bigger perspective in terms of just the turnaround this program has had. And then, uh, two, um, these Twitter spaces, uh, live calls, I think have been really great this year. It's something you guys have not done in the past and I think you should keep it up. Well, thank you, Paul. Paul, that was an excellent call. Thank you for the uh, backstories on rushing the court and, uh, the, the kind words. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome. Thanks. And, uh, and we will be doing, or at least and I don't want to put you on the spot, Rick, but I will, I'm not going to Marquette. I was, I had, there was a time where I thought maybe I was going to Marquette. I'm not going to Marquette. So I will be here and I will fire a Twitter spaces up. Um, as soon as that game goes final on Wednesday night, that's the plan. Like buzzer sounds, we'll have a Twitter space up, win or lose. Um, so you can stay tuned for that one. But appreciate it, Paul. It's been a lot of fun talking with everybody all year, and we have a bunch of calls uh, requested in here. Um, Nick, I'm going to go to Nick next. If we, uh... Nick, go ahead. Hey guys, a uh, couple things. Uh, first. Uh, as far as the three and three goes, I would take it. I think uh, 
I was texting a buddy of mine as soon as we lost uh, to Butler that I, I did think the three we'd win, or the three you mentioned, with the three we losing on the road. Um, with that being said, to uh, kind of not make a uh, NATO's burner uh, <laughs> here for nothing, uh, and Alabama is potential one seed. If we go three and three, most likely we fall to the four or five line. Uh, what one seed, whether it's Alabama, Kansas, whoever it happens to be, you think we best uh, match up with? Rick, we get to bring it out of the text thread and into the space. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, we we actually differed on this opinion, and um, I think I would say Kansas, personally. Yeah, Rick and I were texting for a while earlier this afternoon about this. If Kansas ends up on the one line, that would be my answer, too. Um well, that was not your first but answer. That was not my first answer. For some reason, I can't. I just can't get past the idea of beating Purdue. I I know they're the only consensus number one seed on bracket matrix right now. But after what I saw Northwestern do yesterday, where they were doubling Zach Eady and he was having trouble passing out of the post, and they they just looked. There were just some things yesterday that I looked at and I thought, wow, well, maybe Xavier might be able to expose some of these. Because Houston is not a team you want to play. Alabama. Neither is Alabama. You, you don't want to play Houston or Alabama. So if you're looking at bracket matrix right now, Kansas is that last number one seed. You don't want to play Houston or Alabama. Alabama would be my pick to win the national championship if you're asking me right now. Texas is the top number two seed. If Texas slides in there into that last number one spot, maybe Texas. I take maybe Texas. Maybe Texas. Yeah. I think you want to. You know, you know who you'd really like. You know, it would be a great matchup for Xavier. I Arizona. Was say Arizona. Yeah, uh, you feel great about that spot, right? Sean isn't going to lose to Arizona in the, well, in the tournament. And, is and he? the other, I mean, the other thing is that Arizona prides themselves that you have Kirk Risa, who I, I don't love, but he's experienced, and then you have Tubelis and Ballo, who have very much had their off games this year. Look at what they just did against Stanford over the weekend. I think they only combined for like eight shots or something crazy, like. Yeah. Jack Nungy and Zach Fremantle would have a field day. I don't want to say like they'd have their best games of their career, but that would be a fantastic matchup for Xavier if if, if they I'm, could get th- that might be like a, a 102 to 101 final score too. Like those teams would just run up and down the court all day on each other. And uh, Arizona's, you know, not as bad defensively as Xavier has been this year, but they're not great defensively either. They're much more offensive oriented. Those two teams going at it, that matchup and the storyline behind it would just be hilarious. Yeah. yeah. I think if, if Arizona can sneak to the one line, which I don't know if they can now that they lost to Stanford, but if they can, then that would be my answer. But of the four, the bracket matrix right now has Purdue, Alabama, Houston, Kansas as the four uh, number one seeds. I don't hate the Purdue matchup because I think it's the least of the evils. But if Kansas sneaks onto that one line, or I guess, tech, are we really going to say, basically what we're saying here, Rick, is you want to play the Big 12 winner. Is that really what we're saying, though? Yeah, I mean, it seems crazy because of how good the Big 12 is overall, but uh, my read on it is the same as yours right now. I think Alabama and Houston are the two teams that would scare me the most. So I would lean probably Kansas first or Texas first and then Purdue. Yep. You know, it's, it's funny you say that, Paul, because I actually agree with you on Purdue. I think we, we treat a uh, Edie as uh, soul conscious and just kind of give Purdue's freshman guards the uh, the Jackson treatment, just make them beat us as long as we get Edie out of the way. I think we're, we're well, fine. But, but to uh, say to, to get Edie out of the way, I mean, that is that is a massive task. But, and, you know, you're comparing Alabama and Houston as long as yeah. I, I yeah. think that's as as you. And Houston's probably the worst of, like, a grinded-out – tough-as-nails defensive team that just wants to play as, as few possessions as possible. 
That's not the that's Yeah, not I, the I think Houston Houston will take Xavier out of everything Xavier wants to do, in my opinion. I think Houston is a bad match. Yeah. So, all uh, right. Nick, anything else? Yeah, two quick things. Well, didn't want to touch sure. on if uh, Coach had mentioned anything about the free throws. I know throughout the whole year it's not necessarily been an issue, but the last couple of games they've been shooting either under or just around 50%. Didn't know if that was just due to fatigue with the last bench or if he had maybe gotten into that at all. You know what's funny is somebody I, – I didn't get a chance to listen to the Sean Miller show tonight, but right before we went live here on the show, somebody tweeted at me and said, please tell me you're listening to the Sean Miller radio show and you heard Sean's comments on, quote, stripe work, free throw haters going nuts in Norwood. So maybe they're working on it. I had, I had a text right before we started this that said, Sean really giving the fans what they want with the free throw answer. So I missed that answer as well because I was getting ready to start yeah. this. Um, I, I don't know what that answer was, but my guess is I, I will tell you this. I have zero patience to talk about free throws. I just don't care. <laughs> don't blame it. And lastly, I got to thank the professor for bringing it up as well. Uh, Sam Thomas, I know you're going to be listening to this. He and I have been going back and forth. I'd love to hear your guys' answer. At what point is a court storming not a court storming when a game ends? Does it have to be immediately after? Can you hold off the students a couple minutes to give the play? No, it has to be immediate. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad. Like buzzer goes off and they're t- tearing over yeah. the, the the scores table. So glad you said that, Sam. When you're listening to this, yeah, send me a text. Yeah, not like the Vanderbilt football thing where the guys, you know, filed down in single file fashion and then walked onto the field. <laughs> not that. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, that's all I got for you guys. It's called. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Uh, we have a couple more here. Uh, actually, I have a few more here. Jams McGee. Go to champs. Go ahead. Who's who's is this? Am I on? You're on, baby. Hey, sorry, You're on. Guys, sorry about that. I was dealing with some Reese cups with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I got the kids to bed and everything. It's a minor miracle. Oh man, I hope you don't get a divorce. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey uh, this is awesome. Thanks for doing it. I got some questions. I'm just curious on your guys' take on the offense. It's just so. Uh, like watcher friendly, the way we're running our offenses. Last year at times, we'd be running our offense back at the half court. But even after makes, we're getting the ball out and we're rushing it down. Even if we're not like pushing a quick shot, we're getting it down there and we're getting the offense set up. Um, I love that. And I'm just curious, do you guys see a trend on, on you guys that watch a ton of basketball? Or is there going to be a trend, like shift away from all this, like stand around ball screen stuff to a more fluid offense as we get more data, as things change that they always do. And then um, that's my first question. And I've got one more. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because Xavier is running a ball screen continuity offense, right? And if you told, people who are kind of against what you just laid out, which is like all the ball screens and a lot of standing around on offense, they would not like the idea of what Xavier offense sounds like it is. But the way Xavier runs it this year, where they move the ball from side to side quickly, they get lots of those high-low actions, they share the ball really well, they make great reads coming off those ball screens, it looks great, right? It's fluid, it's fun to watch, it's beautiful basketball. To me, it's all within the discipline and teaching your kids to make those right reads. I mean, I think the biggest difference between last year's offense and this year's offense is just the insistence on guys doing what they're best at and it not being optional. You know, it's no longer everyone has a neon green light. It's If there's an opportunity to get the ball inside to Jack Nungy or Zach Fremantle, the ball's going inside 
to Jack Nunji or Zach Fremantle. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, that is the biggest difference from the last few years is taking advantage of those things and constantly keeping the ball moving. And I didn't think they did a great job of that in the first half against Butler the other night. Yeah. Yeah. Butler just grinded everything. And when, and we would throw it inside, they would, they would swarm us with three or four guys. I mean, you know, they were ready. They were, they were baiting. It was very similar to what uh, Villanova did to Xavier the last couple of years. If you remember Xavier trying to go over the top to Nunji in those games and and Villanova was like baiting them into it and bringing a defender underneath to knock the pass away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, Hunter, for every turnover he had, he also got a shot block, which doesn't really show up in the stats, and he had a rough night. I'm curious also, that I, I appreciate that take, and um, um, also fascinating insight on the potential uh, NC2A tournament matchups. Defensively, could you guys ever see us trying anything different than man? And that's just my last question. I mean, we've we've, we've kind of talked about that a little bit over the last few weeks of what is Xavier going to try to do defensively. And, I mean, they've shown zone on a few possessions, but it just kind of feels like at least this year, you know, I don't want to speak to future years and personnel, but it just feels like this year, at this point in the season, you're not really going to change anything so dramatically or schematically that you're going to go away from what you've done for two-thirds, three-fourths of the season. Mm-hmm. Well, and Sean, when he's commented on it, and I actually agree with him on this, they don't have length on the perimeter. Like, yeah, yeah, they have Jack Nungy, and technically they were playing too big with him and Zach Freeman. Also, if you look at like their average height, it's pretty high in, in terms of uh, average across the country. But with their guards, when you have a Sule Boom and an Adam Kunkle at your one and your two, you don't have guys with great quickness and length that, to, that can cover a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. And that's what you need on, on, in a zone. To close out to shooters, you need to be able to cover a lot of ground w- at those perimeter spots. Xavier just doesn't have that with their current personnel. So, um, really, their, their numbers when they've gone zone have not been good at all. And, mm-hmm. and quite honestly, I just don't think the coaching staff believes it. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, champs. Uh, we have, let's see, one more Xavier person that I see in here. And then uh... – <laughs> All right, go ahead. Michael, you got me? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me okay? Gotcha. All right, two things. Number one, uh, I'm up here in Detroit. I got to tell you, I hang out with a lot of Michigan and Michigan State fans, and they complain all the time about how their space is just horrible. So shout out to you guys. You do a good job. I appreciate the, uh, the control over the, the ranting people all the time. That's the first thing. Um, second thing, uh, I'll comment on the stripe work thing because I was listening to the uh, radio show, so – someone came up and asked the classic question and Sean just laughs and he's like, yeah, I'm really glad that you, you asked this question and started talking about how all the guys have to make 50 foul shots before every practice. So all the big time free throw guys, you can go watch that. I'm sure you're having a great time. So here's my question for you guys though. So we talked a lot about how we're thinking three and three down the back half here. You talked about losing on the road. We just saw Xavier maybe for the first time all year, looking like a deer in headlights there's been a narrative that they can't win outside of Stintas. Does that concern you at all in the postseason? It starts to worry me a little bit, right? I, I would take that narrative and storyline and trump it with the fact that these other teams haven't played against Xavier, haven't seen what they do offensively yet, aren't used to scouting it, and won't have that advantage that these other Big East teams are having the second time through. I mean, if you look at Xavier, they've won at UC, 
They've won, obviously, at Georgetown, which who cares, but they've won at St. John's. They've won at Villanova. They've won at UConn now. Like, they've won some games away from Cintas Center. I'm like, I'm not saying it's not hard to win away games, but that's the case for every team, not just Xavier. And uh, I'm much more interested in the advantage they'll have when they're playing a team for the first time, as opposed to the second time around in Big East play where teams have scouted them and faced their offense once already. Yeah. I, I've been a much bigger proponent of that with Rick. If you've been listening to these over the last couple of years, you'll know I, I talk a lot about what Xavier can do in the, non-conference season as far as running actions or getting the looks that they want versus when you get into conference play and these coaches know each other they've seen each other a million times now it's a little different this year with Sean because it's the first year he's in the conference but you get my overall point that by the time you get to Madison Square Garden and you're seeing these teams for a third time it's a whole lot different than turning around and playing uh you, you know it's some some random team from the ACC, the middle of the ACC on 48 hours notice. Well, and just think about like that cross screen play they like to run. Yeah. You know, the, the screen across the block where you come through, you throw it in the corner and you've got a, a quick hitter right there. They don't usually get that the second half of the Big East season hardly. Yeah. But they got that all the time earlier in the year, right? Well, all of a sudden you get into the postseason, NCAA tournament, a team that hasn't seen you, you get that two or three times in one game. And that's a big deal when you can – Get, get six easy points off of a, a little set action. Yeah, like I, I feel much better about playing St. Mary's or TCU on a neutral court than playing, you know, at Hinkle Fieldhouse on a sold-out Friday night. Yeah, I agree. Is that it, Michael? That's it. Thank, Thank you. Uh, all right, let's go to Johnny. Go ahead, Johnny. Unmute yourself. Hey guys, thanks again hey. for doing this. Um, just a just a kind of an easier question, maybe. Uh, so six games left, right? Just kind of curious how you're seeing those going. I know we've been kind of talking a little bit about it. You guys have been saying three and three, which I definitely would be okay with. You've been saying, you know, six and zero oh is what it would take to win the Big East. That's probably not going to happen, I would think. But just curious, what uh, how you guys are seeing the last six games falling? I I am going to say four and two. I'm not going to sit here and try and make a prediction on where they get those four wins because God knows they could lay a stinker like Butler or they could look like world beaters like UConn. I mean, I I just I have no idea, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that. But I am going to uh, I am uh, I'm going to say four and two. I think three and three is very doable, and that's why I've been throwing that number out there. If, if they beat DePaul at home. Villanova at home and and uh, Butler at home, they end up three and three, and that seems very doable for me. But I would kind of agree with Paul that if you're pinning me to a prediction, I might lean four and two because I think there's a possibility that uh, I expect them to win those three home games, and I think there's a possibility that they'll steal one of Marquette, Seton Hall, or Providence on the road, especially given the fact that they're coming off this stinker against well, Butler. Quite honestly, I think it makes it less likely. That they'll, they'll slip up. And again. I thought Fanta made a great point uh, on my podcast the other day on Friday. He made a great point about the Seton Hall game. And the, the Seton Hall game that's coming up on, uh, what is that? It's Friday the 24th. February 24th. Friday the 24th. That Seton Hall game for the Pirates can look a lot different when the game time actually rolls around than it might have a week ago, where the Pirates, I'm not going to say that they were in the NCAA tournament by any conversation. But they were at least putting themselves in the bubble conversation to the point where 
that Friday night game in the Prudential Center would have been potentially a game that they needed to win to really, you know, solidify the talk that they could get into the NCAA tournament. Whereas now, Seton Hall is sitting at 15 and 11, 8 and 7 in the Big East. And oh, by the way, they got to play UConn before Xavier. That game just might not have the juice for Seton Hall that it would have. Like, they would have been motivated to play that game if that would have been their NCAA tournament hopes on the line. Where if they lose to UConn, God forbid, maybe even Georgetown, I mean, if they lose one of those two games, you're not talking about Seton Hall the same way, where maybe Xavier does go to Prudential Center on a Friday night and, and pick up a win there, and that gets you to four and two. Yeah, I, I agree with that to some extent, but I also think uh, these guys believe in Shaheen Holloway. I think he has their attention. I don't see them being a group that's going to quit down the stretch either, just because they, it doesn't look like they have a great chance in an at-large bid. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I get his point there. It may, it may not have the outside hype that it otherwise would have, but I also don't think you're just going to have a Seton Hall team that's ready to roll over and end their season when Xavier plays them either. I got it. Um, one more thing, just kind of more of an opinion, if anyone cares. Uh, you guys were talking earlier about uh, the rivalry situation with, uh, you know, Xavier and Butler and Xavier and how it used to be Dayton. Just seems to me, you know, at UC, probably the main rival I would have to imagine everyone would agree on. Just seems like that's such kind of a heated rivalry, you know, same city, obviously. Seems like it would be basically impossible for any other rivalry to get ahead of that. So I almost try not to even think about, you know, secondary yeah. rivals kind of starts getting into like a weird, like a weird spot. But, but I mean, that, like, I agree with you, but at the same time, you do have that date. You definitely do. You're right, Which, but I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I mean that was a legit second rival. I would say. I mean, I would always, I always thought the UC rivalry was the biggest by far as a kid. But I was surprised once I started running the site how many Xavier fans view Dayton as the biggest rival. That is surprising to hear, but interesting. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much it. Thanks again, guys. Really appreciate you guys doing this. Now, now keep in mind, Johnny, this was 15 years ago, too, yeah, also, when I first started doing yeah. that. So, I mean, it was different when Xavier was in the A-10, the way people felt. Definitely true. Definitely true. I do think there is some validity to if Butler was, you know, at the top of the Big East every year, that that they could be a, a significant rival to Xavier just by, by you know, proximity, by kind of the type of school. Like, I, I do think there is something to that, but it's just kind of – what Butler is, what Butler has been to Xavier in the last few years has just been a thorn in the side with these terrible losses. To me, Butler and Xavier are kind of like Louisville and UC when they were in the Big East. Together. Yeah, and, and Conference USA going back even farther. They're not like real. Like no one else from the outside is going to be like, oh yeah, how about that big rivalry? But while you're in the same conference together, they're probably your biggest rivalry in that conference. It's close regionally. Uh, the fan bases like to talk at each other. There's a lot of uh, overlap between people living in Cincinnati that are Indianapolis transplants and vice versa. So I, I agree that they're probably the biggest rivalry in the Big East Conference. But, I mean, I, I definitely think Butler fans see it as m a much bigger rivalry in their eyes. Like, it, listening to Butler fans, it almost feels like Xavier is their biggest rival, period. And I don't think there's a single Xavier fan that feels that way. Yeah. Uh, do, on this note, Rick, do we want to do it? Let's All do right. it. Let's bring All him right. in. Yuli, you've waited for an hour. You have been requested since the moment we started this space. We're trusting you, Yuli. Save the best caller for last, I see. You've been a great caller for years. Oh, yeah. Yuli, how was it Friday it night? It was unbelievable. You know? 
I was so glad I decided to put that tweet out and have y'all run up my likes. I didn't know how many likes I would get. I didn't know how much it would cost me. But then again, life's about taking risk, and I took a risk, and it paid off well. So I'd like to thank all you Xavier fans for giving me some free money. That was beautiful, and I, I just loved everything about it. Now, I get it. There's a lot of crit criticism about us storming the court. I decided to. I told the security when we were when it looked like we were going to win, we were going to storm the court, and they did not care at all. We've had a bad season. We've seen some bad blowouts at home. This was a win we needed to feel good. It was a big win over a rival-ranked school. And I have zero regrets about storming the court. I don't care if everyone thinks it's stupid. I don't care if one person thinks it's stupid. We did it. The students had a good time, and that's what matters. It felt good to all of us. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I mean, go do your thing. Have fun. If you guys enjoyed it, by all means, I'm, I'm happy for you. That doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't bother me when college students do silly things. I personally, if I had been in that situation as a college student, I just wouldn't have been able to do it myself. I would have been like, yikes. That's just how I feel about it. I guess it's a different era. Maybe when you went there, storming the court was less of a thing because we've Yuli, seen it a long time. Yuli, I have a question for you because yeah. I've been to Hinkle Fieldhouse many, many, many times over the years, but it has always either been to broadcast a women's game or it has been for a Xavier uh, men's game. So I've never been to a Butler, uh, like a Butler-Creighton game, any any game that Butler and Xavier are not playing in. Does the does the crowd do like because cause they were doing Zombie Nation and then they would say like Xavier sucks. Do they, oh yeah, that, they do that every game. That's how much we hate Xavier. Do you do that every? So is Xavier, is Xavier wait, the wait, biggest wait, rival for wait, you? Wait, hold your on. Mind? I need hold on. I need I need a clarification here. You say Xavier sucks every game, or you say like the team that you're playing sucks? No, we say Xavier sucks every game. <laughs> okay, that's unbelievable. So that's what that's what we were all trying to figure out in the crowd was whether like you know because it was like look at all these people booing. This is this is unbelievable. I actually love yeah, this. Yeah, this is awesome. I actually yeah, like this. This is this. It was because I couldn't remember that, and I. I mean, it, it. It gave me like I was trying to think of another rivalry. I mean, I know Army Navy does it. I'm not trying to compare it to that, but like the way that the whole crowd was doing it, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this is way too coordinated to have been the first time that this happened. Well, see, when I transferred in from Syracuse, I thought they were saying Syracuse sucks, but then I said Z <laughs> I, I couldn't tell the difference, and then it was like. I asked, oh, Xavier sucks. I had no idea who Butler's rival was the first game I went. And then I started getting the feeling that Xavier was our rival because they did it every game, and I just went along with it, and it's, and it's fun. So here's what's insane to me, that like even the new students feel this way, and they're continuing this tradition now of saying Xavier sucks during Zombie Nation, which is incredible, I didn't know about. But you guys don't know the story about the Water Fountain game? Like, that's insane. That is where the rivalry starts and ends, in my mind, is that Kenny Freeze water fountain game. And I just found out this week that, like, no Butler fans even knew what happened. I don't happened. know what it's about. That, 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 right. That's in, that is insane to me. It's like, how is the how do you guys view this as the biggest rivalry, but no one even remembers that Kenny Freeze ripped Butler's water fountain out of the Hinkle Fieldhouse Yuli, wall I'll, there? And, I'll and send you the highlights from that game when we get off the space, Yuli. Oh, that's be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Xavier's, I mean, we have to have a rival. I mean, Xavier's our rival, but it, so I guess that's it.
Well, I just, I just, I'm, I'm fantastic that the whole because it was in such unison that I was sitting there. I mean, the whole one side of the crowd back up where we were was Xavier fans, and I was sitting there in this big group of us, and we were talking, and and I, I was asking, is this something that they do every game? To you know, is it like? Xavier sucks, and then you know the Seton Hall comes. as Pirates suck. Is it is no. they just rotate, or is this it, do Xavier every it's game? It's always been Xavier, and it's been the funniest thing. That's that's hilarious. I know it's. And listen, if anyone has a problem with the facilities at Hinkle, you can always call maintenance. I have no association <laughs> with that. Thank you, Yuli. Any anything you want to get off your chest here as well, your. Uh... Peacocking well, in front of Xavier everyone Nation. Everyone who has a problem with the goaltend, it's not like that. It was a back and forth game, and it really took away. Butler led the entire game. They were up fourteen at half. They dominated the entire game. Yeah, Xavier made some runs, but ultimately Butler wanted it more. And if you look at Sean Miller's press conference, he even opened it up and said it wasn't the rest fault. We played horrible. It, I, yeah. Well, I have to say, Yuli, you are the first person to bring that up tonight. Like, no one even I, called I in asking us about that. No one's – oh, my God. Jeff Anderson, he was literally drinking flesh. It looked like flesh. I don't know what he was drinking, but it was disgusting. <laughs> Je- Jeffrey Anderson is is the official with the high knees. That's who you're referring yeah. to. Um, he is. He was at an NKU game earlier this year that I called, and honest to God, he was the most unprofessional official that I've ever witnessed. In he ruined the Duke game, and the ACC called him out too. Yeah, he's constantly arguing with fans and doing weird things, weird antics on the court. He's a big look at me guy. I'm. I don't know how he gets such big games. He he. If he gets the final four, that'd be ugh. Well, he was. He did the. Uh, he did the final four game between Gonzaga and UCLA, where Jalen Suggs hit the game-winning half-court shot, and he did that that crazy gesture at midcourt to say that the basket was good. I mean, you can go back for years to find those videos. Look at all these people booing. I mean, this is unbelievable. I'm not even being that cocky about the win, and they're still booing. Right? <laughs> See, now this is why I think that we're rivals because I come on and they're automatically booing, acting like I'm some enemy who's talking all cocky. I mean, and, and it's just funny. You only you got to give me some credit for bringing you on here. I mean, you know, I'm going against probably like eighty percent of Xavier fans' wishes. I, I wasn't stuff. even aware of the tweet until Paul sent it to me because I wasn't tagged in it, and then I see, oh, look at. See, some people were like, yeah, have him on. They won. He deserves it. Some people were totally against it. I'm like, you know what? Whatever happens, I'll be okay with. I understand that this is a sensitive time for Xavier fans. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, look, you've been very respectful. You usually bring good Big East conversation on these shows. So I felt like it was yeah. only fair to have you on here tonight. And you know, appreciate you stopping in again. And, and, and congratulations on your big betting. Win. Of course. And Jaden Taylor is better than Jerome Hunter at Jerome Hunter fan club. <laughs> Thanks, Yuli. With that being said, let's right. go ahead and uh, bring in our guy, Jerome Hunter fan club. All right. Jerome Hunter fan club. It's all yours. There's our Lord and savior, Jerome Hunter. Hey man. I, I got to get this off my chest. I, you know, we get it. Yuli, you're rich. We get it. Okay. But you better pay off <laughs> for a Musketeer Report subscription because we know Butler doesn't have anything of the sorts. We know that you barely can pay for a toilet at your stadium. So the least you can do is put some of that money towards Rick, his subscription service, so that we can make sure his upcoming child doesn't have to go to that stinking university in Indiana. 
That's actually a really good point, Yoli. You should put some of that money towards a Musketeer Report subscription so my kid doesn't have to go to Butler. Seriously, Yoli's more of a Xavier fan than he's a Butler fan because he just gets to interact with Xavier fans because Butler fans probably don't even know how to use a smartphone. So, <laughs> I, The Jerome on a fan club will admit, though, that whether Xavier fans want to admit it or not, Butler are rivals. It's simple as that. You have the geographic standpoint. Oh. You have the fact that they've ended our season for two years in a row, and then you have this game where I guess supposedly we're their biggest rival since Satan himself. Well, you know, not I don't mean to get into semantics here, but you could really say three years in a row because if you remember three, back three. to that Kamar Baldwin shot at the end of the 2020, it, there was no NCAA tournament that year. But if there was, Xavier was probably going to make the tournament if Kamar Baldwin doesn't hit that shot. But he makes that three – and Xavier, instead of getting the 20 wins, ends up 19 and 12 on the season at the end of the regular season. So, really, you, you could make an argument that it's been Butler to end Xavier's season three years in a row. It's, it's just crazy. Like, the fact that they chant us every single game, and you could probably argue that 50% of this fan base would argue that we're not rivals with them. I mean, that's commitment, so I'll commend them for that, but that's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> it is pretty funny. I I had no idea about that whole Xavier side. Well, my, my question is, do they have like any other rivals then? Or is like are we like well, the only thing? Well, well think about this though. Think about this though. They've made this meteoric rise from the Horizon League within the last like decade, basically. When they went to the final four, they were still in the Horizon League, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean that they went to the A ten right after that when they spent no time in the A ten to form an actual rival aside from their few games against Xavier. And then now they came to the Big East. So it's like, unless you're going to go back to their Horizon League days, which who was their biggest rival back then even, I, I don't know who you would say. Like, who would their biggest rival be? They, rivalry be? They don't have that, that like history at the high major level yet to really have one formed aside from Xavier. That's crazy. I mean, all good for them. You know, I am, I'm happy they got to storm the court. That's probably the most excitement anyone in Indiana is going to get this entire year. So good for them. Um, but yeah. My, I, so I have a quick question, and it's about the foul call. It's not necessarily green if it's wrong or right. It was more of the question of I, – I noticed Rick said this, and I saw a couple other people said this about how Jeffrey Anderson probably called the foul just because you call the foul, you're able to review it. You're talking right. about the goaltend. Goal yes, yes, sorry. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'd assume that you know not every Jeffrey Anderson call is good. Um, my question is, so if we're going to go off the presumption that basically – when you get really close calls like that at the end, that they're going to call it because they want to review it. Aren't you just also just setting yourself up for the fact that if it is so close that you can't necessarily reverse it off the video, aren't you just putting yourself within a hole that you're going to call the foul because you want to review, but then it's just going to stand no matter what. Yeah. That's the major issue I have with that. And it's interesting because I've now heard two different things from, I've talked to like, like six, I think six refs now trying to get different opinions of what they think. And I've mostly heard that they agree with the goaltending call because the rule is pretty clear. Now they say it's bang, bang. It's hard to tell exactly where the ball is when Jack makes contact with it. But in in other words, they got the rule right in terms of blocking it from behind. The ball can't be over the cylinder. If he was in front of him and his hand got forced over the cylinder, then it's legal. But the fact that he came from behind, even though it was like a dunk attempt, it doesn't matter. It would still be goaltending. So, um, from that perspective, everyone seems to believe he got it right. But the the part about whether or not college basketball officials are told to go ahead and call something like that so you have the opportunity to review it, I've heard conflicting 
comments on that from officials. So I can't really tell if that's a thing they're actually told to do or if that's just a thing they some of them do because they, they think it's the best way. But like the point you brought up is the exact right one. The problem with that is, is if you have a burden of it, of it burden of proof, that is, it has to be conclusive when you look at a, a instant replay and you don't have a great angle that clearly shows that you were wrong, then you have to go with the call in the court stands. And if you didn't really believe the call in the court was correct when you called it, you only called it so that you could have the review. Well, now you've just completely screwed the other team. Yep. So, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with that point. I, you know, I'm always, you know, I think we get into this argument for any sport about how ultimately replays for the better of the sport. But it's, I find it crazy that, you know, for replaying all this and that, that, you know, refs just don't understand that swallowing the whistle can be like the best thing sometimes. And I mean, you even look at that replay in that last game too. The fact that they not only you missed the call, miss didn't miss the call. That's up to the interpretation. It doesn't appear to be, but the fact then that they also then didn't check the clock, and I think they left at least one second on the clock too. It, I just seems like as if there's no necessarily like regulation on how replays happen and then what exactly the process is. And it's it for how advanced replay technology is. It's just crazy. We're still into this day, not even being able to a have transparency and then B just making it look like an absolute, like complete, I'm not going to swear, but you know, what kind of show. Well, yeah. the, the, the way I've looked at it from Friday was that when you, when Jack Nunji called the timeout and then there was a technical foul and then it, all of that before what happened at the end is a moot point to me because Xavier ended up tying the game anyway. So when I look at how the end of the game played out one, I don't know what Xavier was doing defensively, and Sean talked about that a lot after the game. I don't know what they were doing defensively on that last play. I don't know I, what was what was Manny Bates ever going to do at midcourt. You know, I don't know why everybody came so far out. I I don't know what was going on there, uh, but I just can't I can't get over the fact that there should have been an extra second and a half on the clock. Should have been three point seven instead of two point two, and I, that's pretty blatant. And then the the goaltending call, and either way, there was just no doubt in my mind. And it's sad to say, but as soon as I saw how that call was made and who was going over to to look at the at the monitor, I immediately looked at the the group I was with, and I was like, "This is going to stand so that he can make a gesture at midcourt." And what happened? That's exactly what happened. It's just it's a shame that it played out that way, because who knows what would have happened in overtime? But it's a shame yeah. that it ended that way. Well, and one more point on that, I, I will say the we didn't deserve to win the game thing. That's a coach's thing. Like, it's right. It's correct. And Sean Miller should believe that and say that. But fans don't have to say that. We all get it. Like, yeah, Xavier didn't play their best, but they were in position to still have a chance to win that game. And they potentially did make a play that had it not been ruled the way it was, would have given them the opportunity to win the game. So, like, I just – we don't – the whole fans being like, we didn't deserve to win that game thing, I don't really understand that narrative coming from fans. That doesn't make any sense to me. It's. I think it's just a lot of, you know, people – it's like – it's almost as if we've become complete – or at least some people have become complacent with the level of where the refereeing is. And obviously, you know, I'm not going to argue that, like, there's not much we can do just given it's hard to get people into the game that want to ref. And it's – that's a, just a whole complex issue itself. But then it becomes as if – I mean, like how – Paul just said it. it's like when you have Anderson or you want to have Anderson on the call, you're going to kind of expect him to just do things like that. So it's almost as if you kind of have to just factor that into the game, you know? 
That's and the so, biggest issue I have yeah. with officiating is the look at me guys where you can point ahead of time, like Paul is saying, and go, you know, he's going to do something that's flamboyant and a big what, look at me gesture that, that has a big impact on this game. And, and that's the unfortunate thing is we're always going to question the calls made by a guy like that because he's so into himself and so into being seen and being a part of it. Absolutely. So, yeah, I again, I'm not arguing with the calls itself. It just I don't know. Like you said, you know, that game was close enough to where those calls do make an actual impact. And whether you want to say we deserve to win it or not, I don't, I don't care. I want to win any game. I, I don't care if we win by one point or whatever. So, Yeah, there are plenty of teams that play poorly and then still find a way to win. And we call those teams good. So, yeah. like, I don't want to hear the we didn't deserve to win thing from fans, really. Because it's like, yeah, we, we all understand that they didn't play great. But you still don't want to get screwed over by refs. And I'm not saying Xavier did, but it's just like, it's a narrative to me that doesn't make any sense. Would have been objectively hilarious if Sule's half-court heave would have gone in after all of that. Oh, God. How fun would that conversation have been with Yuli just now if that would have happened? <laughs> I mean, he, he was strutting his stuff like, hey, I'll help you got your money. But again, like... Yeah, well, I mean, I'm happy for Yuli because I, I, I intentionally, I was thinking about retweeting his tweet saying, uh, you know, for every likes this tweet gets, I'll bet $5 on the Butler money line. I was thinking about retweeting it from the Musketeer yeah. report account just to see how many you could get on it real quick. And I was like, ah, oh, that's probably unfair. I'll just hit like on it. So I, I was like kind of happy for him that it worked out because he was putting himself out there and Xavier fans did try to run it up on him. Yeah. Hey, there's a, hey, there's a reason why I bookmarked it and didn't touch it. I was like, I'm not getting into this superstitious crap. So <laughs> I, will, I'll, I will call out MLTs for those who know MLTs. They didn't have the audio on for the first half of the Butler game. Um, obviously, oh. we sucked the most in the first half. So if you want to blame anyone, blame MLTs. Do not go there unless the ginger bartender is there. He seems to understand how this operation works. Um <laughs> Look, That's I don't know I mean. anything about MLTs as an establishment. I've only been there like one or two times, but bars that don't understand how to handle like sporting events, get them on the TV in a proper amount of time and get the sound going and all that, it drives me absolutely insane. Yeah. Well, and I'm not I'm not going to argue necessarily. It's just more I mean, I've gone there every game, or at least away game outside of think Crane at noon. And they've been pretty religious with, you know, the direct TV tunes right away to FS1 or whatever channel. Uh-oh. I think we lost Jerome. His phone died. All right. Next caller. All right. We only have one more caller in here. So if anybody else has anything they want to say, uh, load up here or else we're going to be done here. Wait, Jerome, you there? Yeah, sorry. All right. Mitch, hold on just a second. Jerome, go ahead. Finish up what you're saying. I think, yeah, finish up my final thoughts. I think I'm very confident Wednesday we're going to beat Marquette. Simple as that. On Saturday, we're going to absolutely demolish the Paul revenge game. You're the Paul fan. Don't even show up because I will destroy you. Jerome is our savior. Jerome is amazing. He's going to go for 2020 Wednesday night. That's all I got to say. Shout out Spaces. Shout out Paul. Shout out Rick. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jerome Hunter Fan Club. Mitch, what's up? So I had to come in on this after that Butler guy. Um, I'm a lifelong Xavier fan. It sounds like a lot of people here kind of maybe don't go back as far as I do. I'm going back to Schmidt Fieldhouse. What I will okay. tell you is this, because this is so funny when that dude was talking about Butler singing these songs about Xavier or whatever. It, it's cracked me up because this reminds me so much of David West's senior year when Dayton played at the Cintas and West went off for like 49 or something like that. All these Dayton fans rolled in with these shirts that they had made 
that were like they were like Dayton shirts and they said beat Xavier on the back. They like had, had made these shirts. And I was sitting there like, what is wrong? Like I, I I'm going back to the MCC all these other times with Dayton. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong with these people? Like, I don't really care about Dayton as much. I care about Xavier moving on. Well, flash forward, the A-10 tournament was in UD arena that year. We go up, Xavier's the one seed. I think Dayton was the two. So Xavier tips at like 6.30, Dayton's tipping after that. We get up there at 6.30, like a half hour before the game goes. The place is packed. Every friggin' Dayton fan is in this gym ready to root against Xavier. I'm like, what? They're wearing, this is the best part, they're wearing the Beat Xavier shirts, but they took masking tape and they put it over the UD logo and had written Temple on it because we were playing Temple. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm literally looking at these dudes next to me. I'm like, are you guys freaking serious? And they're like, oh, typical Xavier fan. I'm like, no, nah, dude, I like, <laughs> I'm like coming to watch a game. Well, so they, so Temple wins that game. They like the place. I mean, you know, UD is loud. I mean, they were, there might've been, I don't know, 2000 Xavier fans there. I thought, what is UD arena hold 13? So like 11,000 Dayton fans are going crazy for Temple in that game. And I'm like, I walked out of that thing and I'm like, this is the biggest bunch of friggin' losers in the world. Like, I get it, but like, if you're that inferior that you're like putting your life around this like this, like, come on. When I watched that game against Butler on Friday night, like, I was thinking about going to that game. I hop on SeatGeek or whatever, and tickets are going for like 160 in the upper deck. And I'm going, like, Butler sucks. They're getting pounded by everybody this year. Like, what is this? Then I turn the game on, so we don't go. I'm like, I'm not going to pay that kind of money to go to Hinkle. I turn the game on, and they're like, we're here at Hinkle at a sold-out arena. And I'm like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. I'm like, this is Dayton all over again. Like, these are people, and that's no, no, no love lost to that Butler guy, but it's like, if you're, like, literally living your life to win this one game, that says more about where your program is than anything else. Now, I will say this. There was a time when Butler and Xavier, I do feel like it was a rivalry, and you referenced it. It was the Kenny Freeze game when I wanted so badly to beat friggin' Kansas State in the Sweet 16 to get another shot at them. Because I was like, we're going to beat them in the Elite Eight. And, of course, we saw what happened there. We lose. We wore Kansas State out. Butler goes to the final. Whatever. The next year, they came to the Cintas, and it was actually a really good game. It was on that 24 hours of basketball, if you remember that. Okay. Yeah, they came in and they were really good and it was a freaking great game and Xavier was a little down because they had lost like I guess it was Holloway was the only one that was left and Xavier won that game and I'm like alright this is kind of cool now this this feels like a rivalry and I guess when they came in at the Big East it kind of felt that way but the reality of it is Butler hasn't really done anything outside of the first couple years in the Big East so now it's kind of like whatever and it's not, I mean, you can say all you want about a rivalry, but the only way it's a rivalry is if it actually means something to beat that team both ways. Like, when Butler rolls back into the Cintas, Xavier's going to level them by, like, 25 to 30. I'm telling you, they're going to. That's not a rivalry. Like, you've got to, you've got to actually be a team that matters. And that's the same way it was with Dayton forever. And, the, and the, the, the fact of the matter is, and I'll come correct on every MF and Butler fan out there, and Dayton fans, <laughs> this goes all the way back, not to the horizon, but to the MCC when it had like seven freaking teams, right? 
Xavier yeah. started this track in 86 when Pete Gillen got there and they won in 87 against Missouri and the rest is history, right? Butler was in the MCC back then. And back when the Atlantic 10 decided that they're going to grab a couple teams, guess who they grabbed? They grabbed Dayton and they grabbed Xavier and they left Butler behind. Evansville went to the, to the uh, Mo Valley and Butler was left in the horizon and they did a good job out of there so much so that God love them. They got to leapfrog Dayton and come into the Big East. But they're all riding on Xavier's coattails, all of them. I don't care what any of them say. I don't care what any of them do. That's the fact. So when I hear, it was so funny when that dude was like, yeah, we say beat Zayt. That is like so hilarious. Like that says more about your program than any other program. And honestly, to the Xavier fans out there, this is kind of what it was like back in the 80s and definitely in the 90s when we would play UC. Because UC didn't give a shit. They came in and they'd be like, yo, we're number one. Like the girl in 99, I was at that game when Satterfield was there and uh, Dermar Johnson. That game was sick. But UC was number one and they didn't even want to play that game against us. It meant everything to us. And the only other game that Friday night reminded me of was like, I think 96 when Calipari and UMass came into the gardens and Xavier wasn't any good and it was like a CBS game or an ABC game on a Saturday. And we sold the friggin' joint out and we played our hearts out. We, we were like a 500 team at the time. But like UMass was like, we don't care. And that's kind of where we are with this. So it's kind of cool. I get it. But I mean, rivalry, give me a freaking break. Mitch, I got to ask, how long have you been saving that up? I, never. I mean, I just like when that dude was saying that, I'm like, come on, man. Like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, you came to – like, the Butler fans are – whatever. I mean, like, uh, I, mean know, I, I just man, had to give them applause. Everybody listen to this. This has been a friggin' process since 1986, really before that with Bob Stack. I mean, we have worked on building this program for so friggin' long. And, like, Butler, I get yeah, you had your couple of years. It was awesome. But where are you with it? You're not moving forward, right? Like – this Xavier team, like what this has been a long ass process that Dayton and friggin' Butler and any of the other ones, you haven't worked it the way that Xavier has. So the reason we're your rival is because you want to be us. And we could care less about you. And that's it. There are certain times as a broadcaster where you have to know to just step out of the way and let things play out and I believe we took that call for Mitch at 9.23. Yep. And that man just went hard for about six and a half minutes, nonstop, I my zero I breath. I where that was going. I muted my mic. Uh, that, was, uh, that was incredible, first of all. Second of all, I'd like to uh, fill in a detail here. UD Arena seats 13,409 people. Just, just to add that I detail in there. I 13,000, right? I was yeah, you were right on. Yeah, you were dead on. Thank you. Um, so, Mitch, it sounds like you agree with my thought that this Butler thing is kind of has the potential to become the new UD. It's a hundred percent the new UD. And I think it, I think it, it got me on Friday. Like it got me, I was not ready for that. And I was like, you know what? And I'm like, dude, I am a friggin' Sean Miller disciple. That dude is the real friggin' deal. And I could, I could go an hour about why that guy is so good. It got him. He was not ready for that. And that's okay. None of us were. And I think Sean wasn't ready for it. And Sean, even I saw it early. I, I, I could see it. I could see Sean being like, mother effer, this is UD. God damn it. 
and they'll figure he'll figure it out and they'll be fine moving forward. But like it does kind of go back to I do feel that Xavier has been this way towards Villanova, nowhere near as bad. But we've Villanova's been the team that we come out for every year, right? And everybody that's been to all those Nova games knows, man, like the Sintas Center's on fire. Like it takes big time performances and big time shots to win. And Villanova's always been able to do it, just like St. Joe's did back that one year when, like, Delonte West went, I think, 13 for 13 for the field. Like, Xavier didn't do that. They, they, they didn't have that in them on Friday. They'll be fine going forward because now that they know. But, yeah, it's the new UD, period. That's, that's what it is. And, and the Atlantic 10, Xavier wasn't measuring themselves with, with Dayton. They were measuring themselves with Temple originally and then St. Joe's and UMass before UMass fell apart. So, I mean, it's like, whatever. I mean, that's kind of cool. I guess if you're a Xavier fan, you should say, hey, man, it's kind of cool that people are looking up to us like they're our little brother. Um, that's how far this program has come, which is really cool. But, like, give me a friggin' break, rival. What? <laughs> this oh, this yeah. space has gone way better than I expected. I'm going to leave it on this. The last court storming, I think I hit this up, but the last court storming was not in 99. Maybe the last home game 05 US Bank Arena Sean Miller Xavier wins four games in four days to win the A10 tournament sneak into the NCAA tournament as a 14 seed they did rush that court that's the last time okay peace out wow Thanks some great that. history from our callers today Paul yeah this has been great we're learning everything left and right thanks Mitch uh I only see one more on here Crosstown Miller, you're up. And if nobody else wants to call, then Crosstown Miller, you're the last call. So have fun following Mitch up, if we can even get you connected. Mitch Mitch was so good, he shut down the lines. Uh, so that's probably the right call. It probably should have been a mic drop situation after Mitch. Yeah. All right, do we want to go to Joe? Let's go to Joe. This this might be this might be a real thing. I think Mitch I simply, just broke the lines. I simply just wanted to say that Mitch just shut it down. That was incredible, and I've, I've been I've been I've been a Xavier fan since I was a little kid, and uh, he he nailed all the history and then some. That was impressive. Uh, it was like six and a half minutes of just fire from Mitch Gal. Unbelievable. Uh, I was there uh, Friday night, and um, you know I, we just X didn't really come out ready. I, I it was I was surprised to see it. Um, and I know the Xavier fans, and I get it. You know, we a lot of people hate on Hinkle and everything. It's a cool atmosphere. I know, Rick, you're not a big fan, but um, it, it was fun. It was different. I wish the game had gone differently, but um, we're gonna we'll get our footing with Butler. We'll be okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think that Xavier, as somebody, it might have been Mitch. I, I I do think that Xavier wins significant by a significant number uh, at Cintas. But I also thought they'd win by a significant number on Friday. So yeah, I did too. Maybe, it, maybe I won't uh, go so hard into that one. So, all right. Is that, uh, is that it, Joe? Uh, only to say that it was it was a tough trip all around. Took the whole family up uh, from Cincinnati and then uh, stayed over the, stayed overnight at a hotel. And at 4.30 in the morning, my youngest got up and started throwing up. It was, uh, it was a hard trip oh. all the way around, man. It, was, it, it, it didn't go as planned. <laughs> but, Brutal. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Tough. Uh, right, thank you. I will say, and I don't. And it's not that I disagree with this, but 
I do find it funny. Like everyone's like, oh, Xavier wasn't ready. They didn't come out ready to play. The, the first possession of the game, Xavier had like the best defensive possession and forced a shot clock violation. Do you remember yeah, that? True. Like, like I do. No, I, do, I mean, I totally agree with your point though that like they were not ready throughout the first half. But it's just funny when you you think about that, and then you go back to that very first possession, and it was like a fantastic defensive possession that they looked like energized and ready to go. It's like, oh, okay, these guys are are going to show up to play tonight, and then from there it was just a disaster the rest of the first half. Yep. Thanks, fellas. You do a great job. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for listening. All right. That it? I think that's it. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for listening, everybody. Rick and I will be back again. I'll I'll uh I'll fire up a space on Wednesday night or Rick, you know, depending on however we want to do it. Um okay. we will we will space on uh Wednesday night as soon as the Marquette game goes final. Uh so if anybody's listening to this and wants to get in some takes, win or lose, we'll we'll fire it up then. But thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back again uh next Monday night. Rick, anything else? Any promos? Anything for the site? No, hit up musketeerreport.com. I'll have a kid that needs to go to college at some point. I also don't have a job anymore aside from musketeerreport.com. And uh, also subscribe to the Rebound Rundown podcast. I will be on there tomorrow morning, Tuesday, if yep. you are uh, listening to this on the podcast. Yep, absolutely. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for all the calls. It was a great space tonight. We'll talk to you next Monday.